like I always have pancakes on game day. That's just a thing that it's just came at this stage. So that pancakes on game day is my thing. Emer, you always have pancakes on game yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, pancakes, yeah. The last thing I want to do after a pile of pancakes is physical <laughs> exercise of any kind. This is The Front Row, brought to you by The 42 in partnership with Guinness. Hello, and you're very welcome to The Front Row, The 42's brand new rugby podcast made in partnership with Guinness, and a very special welcome to our first live show audience. All right. Thank you, good to have you here. I am Sean Burke, host of the show and Beefcake. Uh, joining me again this week is The 42's very own Murray Kinsella. Thank you, Sean. And beside him, also joining us, is Irish international and Gaelgore, Emer Considine. Emer, can I sit here too? I'm going to go to the Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> that is the extent of my we'll Irish. We'll work on that. We'll work on <laughs> give, me some, give me some lessons. Uh, later on the show, we're going to be joined by Irish rugby internationals Devin Toner and Lindsay Peace. Very excited for that. Uh, we'll also be chatting with Richie Fagan and Parag Cave from the Emerald Warriors Club here in Dublin. Uh, they're striving to be the world's leading inclusive club. The lads have some great stories about how they help change attitudes in the game and face down discriminatory behaviour, so we're looking forward to chatting to them. But first things first, let's get into it, shall we? So first of all, we beat England. Great news. Uh, we scored four tries. Uh, it was a record victory for us at Twickenham. Uh, we're still on for the triple crown. God, I love a triple crown. Uh, we're still on for the Guinness Six Nations, yet still, still I'm hearing that we didn't play that well. What's going on? Yeah, it was a weird one because there were little bits of the game where Ireland obviously could have Im improved early red card for England. You think they're going to walk to a victory, but that's not really always the case with a red card anyway. It's, it's actually kind of tough when you've got that advantage to, to make a count. And England's scrum was obviously very good, and that was a, a key area for them. But you can't complain when you've got a bonus point win to keep yourself in the hunt. As you say, triple crowns don't come around all that often. They used to be really common, kind of early 2000s, but Ireland haven't won one since 2018. It was 2009 before that. So, yeah, there's lots to be positive about. Some really brilliant individual performance as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. And just beating the English is always bloody good, isn't it? Yeah. Eimear, what, what happened with the scrum there? Like, that was, <laughs> seemed to be most of the match. I mean, what was going on? Um, to be honest, I think you're going to have to ask Lindsay maybe about <laughs> what went on in the scrum. We'll, we'll say I think we're just going to blame yeah. the referee. It's always a safe bet, isn't it, to blame the referee? Yeah. It's just whoever cheats the best, really. Yeah. And England cheated very well, and you've yeah. got to give them credit for that. Um, yeah, it was obviously a big concern for Ireland, and there was definitely some of them where they could have got a penalty. I think people have probably seen Nigel Holmes giving his opinion that some of them were uh, questionable decisions, and, and Reynald probably went with England because they had, like momentum. I think the very first one that they got, actually Ireland got the first scrum penalty of the, the game actually, mm. you think, oh this is going to be an area of strength. Then England get the next one just after, um, just on their own kind of try line and suddenly from there it just takes off as a massive strength for them. And you could see the Irish players trying to talk to Reynal. He didn't actually seem to understand what Tyke Furlong was saying. I'm not sure that was his Wexford accent or what it was, but he was confused and, and he just wasn't really listening to them. So there's definitely concern there for Ireland. They've got to improve it. I don't think Scotland will be able to do what England were able to do with their, their, their props and the quality of their props, but overall it, it is something for Ireland to improve on. And I think being Irish, you just love giving out about something. So like the, oh, yeah, <laughs> everything else was going well, but the scrums weren't and the penalties, the amount of penalties that we gave away. And it was uncharacteristic of Ireland to give away that many penalties too, because was it in the first, the first game 
they went a full half without even mm. conceding a penalty. So that's what I suppose everyone was talking about game one. And if you look back to, I suppose, the penalty count the last day, it wasn't characteristic of an Ireland performance. What helped us finish so well? Was it the subs? What was it? I think it was. It was yeah. the impact off the bench. And I think, you know, the, f the first 15 are super important to any game. But there was a stage in the game where England were completely on top. And it was like Max Smith was fantastic again. And he could see that Ireland were being put under pressure by those really high kicks. Their defensive line was phenomenal coming onto it. And it's, it's really tough to play that type of kicking game because you're constantly retreating back and forwards. And it's, it's a difficult game to play. And it's very tiring, especially in the 50th, 60th minute. And it was then that the impact of the bench came on. Like, Robbie Henshaw was phenomenal when he came on. Murray came on and, and steadied it. You know, there, so many more had, had a really good impact on the game. Um, and I think that was the difference. It was the depth in the Irish squad, which is a really good thing to see that... that you know, they made that impact and they finished out the games. Like some coaches talk about the starters and the finishers and, and essentially that's what they were. They were the finishers of the game. And a bonus point win in England against, against England and Twickenham, you know, we can't really give out too much about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, win at Twickenham. What does that mean to an Irish team? What does that give us? Yeah, our Irish teams have done it a, a bit in fairness. There's a decent record over there. It, it, I don't think it has too much fear for Irish sides. Like Dev won over there and, and knows how, how to do it. But um, it, it's kind of the next step for this team, isn't it? They were really good in Dublin. We knew they could beat teams in Dublin. The All Blacks, Wales, obviously. There's a comfort in playing at home and, and, and all that. So they needed that kind of landmark win in Paris. It didn't happen. They had a poor start. They did come back into the game and showed a bit of resilience. But... To go away, and I know it was a red card, but to go away and win big in, in Twickenham, as you say, was a, a record margin. It feels like the next kind of step on their development. And we're going to hear from, from Johnny Sexton now. It was interesting. He felt that two years ago, this team wouldn't be able to, to do it. I think, we've got a clip. I think we're going to hear a clip. Um, I think at 15-0, we wouldn't have had the composure to regroup, but the, the mental skills sort of development that we've done over the last couple of years really stood to us even the week we prepared for things like this um, so that, that's the positive out of it we'll just build towards next week now we've got a chance to win a triple crown at home in the Aviva we, we very rarely have had a chance to to play for something in the Aviva in front of our home crowd uh, often when we have it's been away from home so uh, a big week ahead of us I'm glad somebody else is as excited for the triple crown as I am mm. sounds like he's up <laughs> yeah. for it yeah Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, he's up there. He did that live. Uh, yeah, he is excited. He should be excited. It's silverware. Like, and we always, I know we're going to go on to the World Cup later on. We always focus ahead. But like, it's nice winning now as well. And there's a chance to win a bit of silverware. There's a chance potentially to win a Six Nations, Guinness Six Nations as well. And that's really exciting. Like, even the way the fixtures run, Ireland, you would hope, will get their job done, beat Scotland really well, give them a bit of hammering finish up that way and then you get to watch England and France go at it and the way England played even with 14 men suggests that they could give it a good rattle like if they if Eddie Jones could get his forwards playing like that every single week they'd be unbeatable because with that kind of passion in their game that energy in their game they were just brilliant and they're so powerful and, and um, physically dominant when when they're in that kind of mood so I think they will give them a, a, a good game over there and there's pressure on France now so we'll sit back with our points on Saturday night and and hope for the best there. And are you going to cheer on England? I am going to support England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it feels weird. It's, but a, yes. it's a hell of a 180. Like, I mean, last Saturday I was saying some unbroadcastable things about that England team. <laughs> but then I'm like, come on, lads. Do it for us. 
No, in England, though, I don't know if they want to do it for us, so we'll, oh, fingers crossed. They hate everyone, so like, they'll just be happy to beat whoever they can. Yeah. And the French absolutely hate them as well. Yeah. Uh, le, le, le roast beef, they call them, basically. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a real grudge match, and it'll be just interesting to see how France handled it. Like, they had a little wobble in Cardiff there on Friday, and in fairness, they steadied themselves, and their defence was awesome. But it's a, it's a different prospect of expecting French crowd, and Ireland will be sitting back hoping, yeah. hoping for the best. Yeah, memories of 2015, similar setup then. Wasn't it? Yeah, that was unbelievable. I was actually over in Murrayfield, and Ireland had given Scotland a hammering, so hopefully that's a good omen. And then all the Irish fans actually stayed behind and watched England play France, and it was like the most typical French performance. Mm. They beat them, and then the game was essentially over, but they decided to keep the ball in play, kicking it down the middle of the pitch, giving England a chance. It was absolute agony for, for Ireland and, and all the fans watching, but... There were some good celebrations in, in Edinburgh that night. Let's hear what uh, Johnny had to say about next Saturday. England or England, like they're one of the most dominant team in, in, in world rugby. You know, they were in the World Cup final only a couple of years ago. They're building, I suppose, a new team. and But they've had some big performances themselves over the last six, seven months with, you know, beating South Africa and Australia in November and, and good results against, uh, against Wales. You know what I mean? So it's uh, England are a very good team and we gave them huge respect coming here today um, and I think you know our performance you know we probably didn't get the performance that we wanted throughout the game but I think we showed glimpses of it he's but yeah I think I think England could go and do some real damage to France next week he's really putting it on England to get the job <laughs> done for us isn't he do it for Johnny England. <laughs> do it for our Johnny he, he's right though like they could go and do damage and like after the match obviously Eddie Jones is going to say this was a great performance from our guys because he doesn't want to be under pressure for his job as they look at another fifth place finish potentially in the championship. But it kind of did feel like a bit of a kickstart for them, like to see the likes of Ellis Genge get so into it. Jamie George, who was out of the team for a while, like sprinting 15 meters to celebrate every penalty. They've got Marcus Smith growing in the team as well. And if they can get that dominant pack doing that every single week, then they can be a, a real force again. So um, I think there's, yeah, there's justifiable optimism about England going over there albeit France are really bloody good aren't they yeah we're buzzing come on England do us a favour uh, right are we ready for our next guests yeah alright please welcome to the stage Dev Toner and Lindsay Peace, Irish internationals yeah uh, so what are your thoughts on the Six Nations so far how are Ireland looking in your opinion what are your the Guinness Six Nations, how's it looking for you so far? Um, I think I'll reiterate what Murray was saying. Do you know, to go to Twickenham and, you know, myself and Emer, well, everyone probably here has, has had the privilege, so it's not, it's not an easy stadium to go to. So we haven't won there since 2018 to get a bonus point win um, to put the biggest score against England. Like, championship teams in any realm of sport, um, to win dirty or to win easy or to just keep winning at the highest level is a tough thing to do. And against the English, when there's such, let's be honest, as a nation, there's an awful lot at stake, do you know what I mean? And it was probably that turning point first, whether we were going to be real title contenders or not. So um, whether we played well or not, it is very hard to play against a team with a man down and especially going so early. So I think that did galvanise England. I think they played well, they frustrated us. But the fact that Ireland kept plugging away, especially having a bad day in the scrum um, and things not always gone away, I think it was an, an excellent win, uh, a very professional win in the end. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. 
Dev, how, how's it feel for you watching that at home, having done, gone there and done that yourself? Well, not been able to <laughs> it was a weird weekend because I, we were preparing to play Ulster on Saturday night, so we were able to see the first half of the game. And then we had to leave the hotel to go to Ulster to, to play a game. So everyone was kind of looking at it, looking at it on, the, on the back of the bus on, on, on your phone. So I actually I, I missed the last two tries, so obviously I got to see highlights of it. But um, I kind of left it at, when it was at 15-12, so it was kind of in the balance. And then I kind of saw it was 15 all, <laughs> And then we had to go for warm-up, so we didn't, we didn't really know what happened. So it was a bit weird. Um, but um, as everyone was saying, it, 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 it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard one to do when, when there's a red card so early. I think especially because if a ref gives a red card early, he'll have that in his head as well, and he's kind of want to tip the balance, and, and, and that might be where all the penalties kind of came from as well. He, he has it in the back of his head that he gave that red card, he kind of wants to even up a bit as well. So, but I think the lads did really well, obviously, digging deep. Um, and as everyone is just saying, Twickenham is a very, very hard place to go and, and, and get a result, and they should be really delighted with it. Lindsay, can you tell us who was cheating the best, or who was cheating in the scrums? Well, I'll stick with the loose head. Ellis Genge was like, he played it very well. And obviously, um, French referees in the top 14 historically will go with the team with dominance. And that's what we, we feel he did. You know, they, yeah, he, he had the measure of Tyke Furlan. And, and it's so frustrating in the front row as when the referee is against you. And no matter what you do or how much you complain or how much you ask him or her to look at things, it's nearly like you're after offending them. And they're like, they go against you even more. You're like... I'll just shut my mouth now. So I think Genge had it, but I think looking at the, the conversation between Nigel Owens and even Mike Ross, who we've had the pleasure to work with, was like, ah, come on, we, we probably had four dodgy penalties that could have went Ireland's way. So like some of them were wheeling. We're like, I was like, what the hell? Like Genge wasn't straight. Then when he asked the two, um, Furlong and Genge to adjust, then poor Keen Healy collapsed. Like it just went, when it's not your day in the scrum, it's just, you, you feel like saying just... Have you, a time now. You've never been in that situation, surely. Never given away a penalty in a scrum. Listen, I've had my fair share of dodgy refereeing penalties, <laughs> I'll have you know. And Just the more the I complained, the more they gave me the penalties. But this is the thing about the dark art, especially as a loose head, you know, if your bind is short and, it, and the scrum collapses and it is the tie head, like, because you could see Healy being pulled down and collapsed uh, the other side. And that is so frustrating because you're trying your best to stay, to stay square, to stay in the fight, and then you're just... And again, it'll go against loose head if your elbow is anyway in that V shape. Um, I obviously, my bum is as wide as my shoulder, so as a loose head, that goes against you because you look like you're, you know, you're popping out. So it's, it's about what the, the referee is seeing. It's what pictures are being painted. So, and when it's going against you, it's very hard because you're trying everything to negate what you've been originally doing or your opposition. So you're trying hardest. And the more sometimes you fight in a scrum, the more it goes against you. So... Look, the lads, well, look, I know John Fogarty from a briefly working with him. I know, and I know the lads as front rowers, we, we take pride in the work we do. It's not given enough credit to dark arts of the front row. Um, but they'll regroup this week, and I know folks will put a lot of work into the lads, and they'll pride now coming back and bouncing against Scotland and probably setting a really good platform to get a, a big win now the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've heard Johnny Dev a couple of times there, and it was funny in the last, I think it was the last minute of the game, he was given out to poor Caelan Doris when he didn't roll away and then Doris went for the ball and Johnny gave away the penalty but he was still shouting at Caelan Doris who just looked bemused. It kind of summed him up though a little bit and like he is a key driver factor in all this. How demanding is he on <laughs> players like Doris and other forwards like you and how big a, a factor in it is he? Is he? 
I think it's been very well documented over the years how demanding Johnny is. Um, but again, that's what makes him the player he is. That's what makes him one of the top players in the world. You know, I mean, he didn't win World Player of the Year for nothing. I think um, he's, he's gone to another level when it comes to um, demanding standards off your teammates and demanding standards off everyone, off the coaches, off the players, off everyone. And he's, he kind of sets that bar, sets that standard for everyone, and everyone kind of looks to him. Um, and he's a really great leader. Um, and I'm sure that everyone was annoyed with the amount of penalties they were given away. Like one of the biggest things in, 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 in such an important game is penalties. And you, you just can't be given away and give, um, given them like a foothold in, in, like in, the, in the line out or whatever. But um, he, uh, he was obviously getting annoyed with the penalties given away. But again, yeah, no, as I said, he's a, he's a pretty dominant factor there. What will he be saying to the rest of the squad heading into the final game? Like what's the mindset going into a fixture like this? for next weekend? Uh, I suppose the mindset is, like, it's, it's, a, it's a huge cliche, and Murray will notice from, from, from every journalist will know, it's literally take one game at a time, there's only one game left, and literally the, the only thing that he can do is focus on, on Scotland. Um, and, like, a, a, a huge lot of analysis goes to every single game, they've been analysing Scotland a lot at the start of the week, but I think one of the biggest things that they need to do is just keep their game plan and keep what they're doing right and keep all the stuff that they're getting right going and, and, and progressing that even more. I think they've got to keep the discipline um, under 10 penalties the game and I think they just got to keep playing as they're playing, keep the flow going, keep the, the how quick, they're, they've been really quick over the, over, over the whole six stations. I think Jemison Gibson Park has been brilliant with, with the speed from, from, from the base um, and I think they just got to, again, nail down that set piece. It's such, it's such an important part of the game. Yeah, Sean, I'm hoping that tomorrow during the press conference, someone says they hate Scotland. They're going to hammer them this weekend and win a triple ground. It doesn't really happen, though, Debs, right? Yeah, no, it never happens. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you think. You're never going to say it in the media, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to actually back up. I've never obviously played with Johnny, but as a player with 10s, you can tell me this. Like, when a 10 is so good like Johnny and puts you through gaps as forwards, like, the, you, they kind of get away with being demanding. Like, you, you kind of make allowances. Well, not you specifically, honey, no. Um, well, they're kind of the front row forwards who think they're kind of back row backs, but um, that kind of gives the tens that leeway to say what they want and be demanding. But um, I think this weekend in a big game like this, it'll be doing the basics right. And like Dev said, it'll be low penalties, set piece has to be nailed and be key, and it'll be sticking to the game plan because obviously now analysis will be England's done, ticked off. Where's the Achilles heel for Scotland? Where are we going to beat, beat these? I think the speed of what we play. The, the speed of ball at Rooks looking after our breakdown because I'm sure now any team looking at us will want to slow the ball at the breakdown and give us really shitty ball really to work with and uh, slow the game down so their D-line can be set up and just frustrate us. So, yeah, sticking to the basics and the game plan and getting ready. Dev, what is James Lowe like as a teammate? Because we see, as I said, this very bubbly character. And then even as a player, he's had, like, he was out of the team after a couple of tough experiences and he's really come back strongly now. Um, he's a fantastic squad member. He's a, he's a pleasure to be around every day. And I'm not, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not just saying it. You can see it in the media. You can see he just tries to enjoy every single second he's on the pitch and every single time he's training. Um, he just tries to enjoy everything he does. He has always a smile on his face. He's always bubbly in the morning. And I think he realizes how privileged he is or how privileged we are to be rugby players and to be able to do it as a job. I think he, he, he realizes it as well. And I think he's, he really relished coming over to Ireland as well from New Zealand and, and being able to kind of start again. And, and uh, I think he's really loving his rugby, but he's just uh, like a breath of fresh air, to be honest, to be part of the squad with. 
As laid back as he is, I know that he did some interview after November or after last Six Nations where he got quite a lot of stick about his defence and he basically said a big F you to everyone who criticised his defence in the November games. Guilty. <laughs> um, so he clearly, you know, even though he's laid back and chill, he clearly wants to be the best he can be and he has that drive factor as well that he went away, specifically said it in some interview that he went away, worked on his defence and then had phenomenal November series. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, like, he, no, no, I know he probably told you that Hugo does all his video for him, but, I, but I'm sure he does a little bit himself as well. I'm sure he's just laughing it off, do you know what I mean? So he, he is a very hard worker. Um, he obviously will have realised what he needs to work on, and, you know, and he went away and worked on it, and, uh, and like, more power to him, do you know what I mean? He's, it, it, it's, it's worked out for him, like, so he's, um, he's obviously proven good. Like. How is the general World Cup preparedness? I mean, what areas do we need to watch out for? I guess the one that everybody's talking about is... Johnny Sexton, does it seem like they have a viable replacement for him? What do you think? I think the only thing for Joey, like he's an exceptional, he's a different player. Mm. Um, he needs time at 10, he needs consistency. I think he's been so injury riddled um, that that's impacted his time. But if he can get a good run of rugby, um, I, he was phenomenal before he moved to Munster. He had good run of games, but I think he's just been impacted. And then you know, when Johnny's fully fit and he's ready, how can you, you know, justify not playing him? So um, I think he'll definitely have a, a job um, managing Johnny to keep him fit and then getting game time for Joey. But I mean, Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne, uh, Billy Burns, Jack Carty, I mean, with the list of tens is endless. Do you know what I mean? So we have players there, but like going to World Cup, it like, you know, it's nearly like championship, you know, games all the time so I think you have to be ready it's so hard to, to depth a squad with all that you know you're going to have in your pool and then if you get out to the knockout stages so you nearly have to have a variety of who you're going to play for different oppositions so I think we're in good position like we you know we've now a choice of tens I mean they're not up to the Johnny Sexton standard but knowing the impact he has in the squad hopefully he'll be able to kind of bring them along with him. Mm -hmm. Everyone keeps talking about the lack of game time that the rest of the tens have though and I think the next time they're going to see a bit of game time is probably the summer series if there's a summer tour. So Joey obviously got a good bit of minutes against Italy due to Johnny's injury and probably didn't do himself justice, enough justice to warrant that start, which is unfortunate. But it's the lack of game time that the Tens are getting that like, it's a really important game next weekend. And like as you said, yes, we're thinking to the World Cup, but we want silverware. Yeah, or even like you look at the last day, what, Joey got on for a minute, did he? I thought they could have actually replaced Johnny just after he kicks conversion, but they let him stand for the next restart um, and maybe could have given a, an extra couple of minutes. But like Johnny's playing so well, that's part of the problem. And you can't not pick him, obviously. And Joey got those two starts in, in this Six Nations. That was brilliant for his development, learned loads. But I think when you're trying to win a Six Nations, which is important as well, you've got to have him in the team. And when you're trying to steady out that game where it was little bit panicky in the kind of third part of, or the middle third of it you had to keep him on the pitch as well so it's tough on the others but I suppose you keep your fingers crossed and hope that Johnny doesn't get injured and plus when it comes to a Six Nations international game you, you, you have to earn it you know if you're not the best player you got to pick the best player do you know what I mean if Johnny's playing better than Joey you got to pick Joey. Johnny do you know what I mean if Joey's starting to play better then you pick Joey do you know what I mean so it's you got to earn every cap you get you know you can't just say we got to give him game time just for the sake of giving him game time. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I know there is a, the, the argument of everyone needs to get a bit of game time to, to go into it, but, but again, every, every cap is, is important. Like. The, the, the concern, obviously, is that next year, if Johnny gets injured at the World Cup, 
someone else could have had more experience. But I suppose that's true of any nation. Like, if Antoine Dupont gets injured, France are in real trouble, and they haven't been given other scrum halves minutes. It kind of feels, uh, you'd know better, Dev. In Ireland, like, we always want the next kind of shiny new thing. And even when guys are actually still playing well, Andy Farrell was talking about this, everyone's like, what's the next cab off the rank? But you, you, you have to earn it, I suppose. And, and people who are in the position are there for a reason. I know, you, you, you can't be looking too far ahead. As I said, every single Ireland game is hugely important for every single player. For every 1-23, it's so important. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's important for their families, it's important for their friends. You can't, you can't be looking past it. Do you know what I mean? So every single game is so important. Um, and like, I know everyone would love three players deep in every position, do you know what I mean? But it's, it's realistically not going to happen. You've got to play your best players. Emer at the, uh, the Women's Six Nations in a couple of weeks. How's the mood in the camp ahead of that? Yeah, it's good. It's, um, it's, there's a lot of changes. Um, everything is very new. It's like starting from scratch all over again. But it's, yeah, Are it's you really trying to say you miss me? Is that what you're trying <laughs> to say? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? And Lindsay is say it live. Say it so now. Everything is new and young and... <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's low. And I let you borrow my red shoes, Emer, for this show, so... Don't you dare go there, that you're the eldest now. I actually probably am, are, all. I'm yeah. not joking. Yeah, it's scary. We need you to come back a little bit and bring the age profile back up. Just, um, just call me. <laughs> it's great, look, it's great. And it's, it's two weeks away, so it's very much ramping up. It's very much exciting. Um, a lot of new players, a lot of potential new caps. So we are yeah, really excited. Look, we've a point to prove as well. We didn't qualify for that World Cup last year and every other team in the Six Nations is going to that World Cup. So I think that's our main thing is just to prove that we are good enough to be in that World Cup. Um, as disappointing as it was and still is, um, we still have that point to prove and that we are capable of being there. Yeah, Lindsay, any sage advice for the team now that you're not there? Bring me back. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, no, I think we need to be, uh, like, you know, Greg's come in from the feedback I've heard. He's a great guy. Um, it's a tough one for anyone who was going to come in after the heartache of losing out on that qualification. Um, I think it's going to be tough with five out of six teams going to a World Cup. So, um, but that's not to undermine the caliber of players that are there. Um, it's just what we can do in the time building up to it. But um, if we're honest and realistic, at the end of the day, we're starting a four-year cycle now. So mm -hmm. it's about getting game time and just playing to the best of our ability and um, taking each... Like, we probably target the three home games, really, and then we're playing England and France away. So they're obviously the two big two. So if we could get three home wins, I mean, I think that would be a really successful Six Nations for us. Yeah. Uh, moving on to a more serious topic, uh, I heard you and Emer collaborated on a, a separate project outside of rugby, something to do with Irish lessons, was it, Emer? It's Twinkle Twinkle, Lindsay, do you not want to oh give a little Jesus, rendition? Yeah, don't ask me now. Uh, well, you kind of predicted my next question. <laughs> it, was, it, was in the, it was in the depths of lockdown, and do you remember everyone was doing those challenges and nominating you to learn new skills and things and... You, someone nominated yeah. you to learn a new song or something. Yeah, so I decided I'd um, play Twinkle Twinkle on the violin and sing an Askelga. Mm -hmm. That's all you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, where's that Fair violin? Fair play. No, round of applause, round of applause for that. Come on. Thank you very much. Fair play. Admirable. Uh, uh, Emer, did you learn anything during lockdown? Yeah, I actually did because she nominated me. And of course, everyone was doing the nominations. Like, I could have just said Why no. Why are you looking at me with such contempt? I thought I that was nice. So you nominated me. I'll nominate you. We'll so be friends. So I actually learned how to change a tire. 
Oh. And it was very useful then a few months later I was on the M50 and got a flat tire and was able to change the tire myself. So I was actually very, very happy right. with myself. That's actually, yeah. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> no, stop. Because, uh, <laughs> hang on. I had a bit of trouble getting here. <laughs> so uh, would you be able to help me out? We'll crack on with the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll absolutely um, help you out afterwards when everyone else goes away. All right, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. It's, it's the shoe. Lindsay gave me these shoes, and they're just no good for changing tires. Right. I have they a do look better on you, yeah. by the way. You are welcome. All right, well, brilliant. I look forward to putting that to the test. Thanks very much, Emer. Do you like the way she was breaking down the stereotypes there? I'm a girl. I can change <laughs> a tire. Wow. <laughs> just the shoes. Okay, just... <laughs> Great stuff. Well, thanks to Lindsay and Dev for joining us. We're going to have a short break now, but after this, we'll be joined by the incredible Emerald Warriors. But let's hear it for our guests tonight. This is The Front Row, brought to you by The 42 in partnership with Guinness. Let's crack on, shall we? Hailing from a club whose ambition it is to be the most inclusive in the world, would you please... Welcome to the stage, Emerald Warriors, Richie Fagan and Parik Boyle. How are you, lads? Really good. Thanks. Yeah, good. I believe um, Ireland weren't the only team to have a successful weekend in England, is that right? Correct. We rattled some Brits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It's catching on. Yeah. <laughs> Safe to say we were hated leaving that clubhouse on, uh, on Saturday evening, so yeah. yeah. Especially getting to watch our own you know, yeah. Ireland-England game at the end, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, what a cherry on top. Yeah. 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 What, what is the competition? Was it the Hadrian Cup? Hadrian Cup, Cup yeah. Mm -hmm. Tens tournament over in Newcastle. Happens once a year. This year, we usually always put in one team, but we brought over three teams this year. So we brought over uh, a non-contact for the touch, and then we brought over our green and navy team, as we call it here, uh, they're playing the Leinster Metro League uh, Division 7 and 10. So we brought both those teams over as well to play in the 10s. Mm -hmm. And we brought home, both, we won in both our pools, so. Wow, fair play. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for anyone listening at home, it's a hell of a trophy here as well. Impressive yeah, the rumor has it these lads had, they, I don't know, they picked it up and it was a, a snooker trophy. <laughs> and they edited it into a rugby trophy. It just stuck on these. But out of the five years that we were, or that the tournament has been running, mm. we've only not been there once, and that's the year we didn't win it. So right. it's been... Give someone else a chance, lads. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah, this person used to be holding a snooker cue, I presume, then. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Snapped it right off. Um, but for those, of, for those of us who don't know, aren't familiar with the Emerald Warriors, um, tell us a bit about your club. When did you form, and what is your purpose? Yeah, so I suppose started in 2003, mm -hmm. which was five lads decided to come together, you know, bring an LGBT club together, and uh, I literally was training in like Phoenix Park, but like with lights of a car, yeah. you know, as the training ground, uh, then building up into the club hosting some tournaments ourselves, and then putting a team into the Leinster Metro League. And then we've kind of gone from, let's say, you know, averaging for year on year, maybe 40, 50 members, to we're up to about 200 members this year. All right, okay. Yeah. 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 So, like, in terms of diversity, then we'd have, like, people from... It's, it's, it's a unique club more, in more than, like, that there's LGBT members. It's unique in that there's, like, everybody comes up 
from the country to play with us. There's people from all over the world. There's people with like mixed abilities in terms of disabilities, and yeah, it's just it's it's great to see everybody getting involved. You know, yeah. Porik, what's your experience with the club? Because you only joined in 2019, is that right? Yeah, so I joined in March 2019. So actually, this week in 2019, so I'm officially three years playing rugby now. Um, and yeah, I was I liked that. I just moved up to Dublin. I was hating it. Um, hated Dublin. <laughs> I love it now. It's different. But uh, yeah, at the time I hated it. Uh, joined a new job. Didn't really know anybody, and was kind of make it or break it at that stage. I was going to quit my job, move home, if I didn't make any new friends, and uh, then went down to the Emerald Warriors and liked that. I've 200 mates now, and. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nearly yeah. too many. <laughs> so then, well, apparently somebody said you were too skinny for rugby, is that right? Uh, yeah, so I, was, uh, I had a bit of an interest in, uh, in rugby when I was in school. Um, like, we'd done uh, tag rugby in, um, in TY, and I was telling the lads that I was in school with that I wanted to join rugby, and they just laughed and told me I was too skinny, um, that I'd, that I'd never, never make it. But, like, even now, when... Like I tell people I'm a rugby people or rugby player, they kind of they're shocked and they're like, you don't look like a rugby player, and you know, I suppose I could be wearing a crop top or something like that at the time, but <laughs> like, <laughs> what does a rugby player look like, you know? And yeah. like we're always told that like there's a position for everybody on a rugby team, so like why isn't there you know a position for every gender or every sexuality or every race on a rugby team too, mm -hmm. you know? So that's what we're just trying to change with the Emerald Warriors. And, uh, this is what too skinny for rugby looks like. <laughs> Say that now, Sean. <laughs> we'll get you down. Oh, yeah, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. Um, tell us a bit about uh, the effect the club has. I mean, there was a recent survey that showed that a lot of people in rugby didn't know any other gay people in rugby. So how important is it to have like, a gay role model in the sport? Yeah, so we, we did a bit of research ourselves mm. before we hosted the tournament in 2019 and we asked the question within a few grassroots rugby clubs, did they know any LGBT plus or, or gay or, you know, players? Obviously people mentioned Gareth Thomas and whatnot, but that was about it. So we knew that even when we were hosting that tournament, there was a job in hand to bring people in and understand what LGBT in rugby is and why it is no different and to break down or strive to break down those barriers uh, about sometimes what people perceive as, as, as poor alluded to there, what is their typical type of rugby player. Yeah, yeah. Would you say you've seen progress in that already in your first, first hand experiences? Yeah, without a doubt. Like, mm -hmm. Even the, the work we're doing with some phenomenal stakeholders and, and, and partners, like the Bank of Ireland is our, our sponsor, we're very proud of that, and they're as ambitious as ourselves to change the dial. Mm -hmm. And um, even with the work we're doing here at Guinness, like we're very grateful for the opportunity to be here today. Um, but we are seeing a change, like even with like the work more Flahive in Leinster is doing around diversity inclusion within Leinster itself. We've been tied in with some of the work that they're doing. Uh, David McKay in the RRFU, who's heading up that diversity inclusion department also, like he has forwarded on work to us to sense check before it's going into clubs across the country for coaches to understand language in diversity inclusion itself, but also language in the LGBT community. Yeah. So that is hugely positive. Like that's, uh, that's a big change in the last four years, which mm -hmm. is 
Yeah, okay. Pora, how do you feel about the role models rather than society itself? Do you think gay role models are more important or do you think it's just a larger question of everybody else needing to change? Um, sorry, I suppose it's, it's like a hard one to kind of quantify. It's, it's, it's great to have uh, so many like gay role models in sport. Um, not that we have loads, but it's, it's, it's great that those there are a few people there I suppose the bigger question is like why do people have to come out in sport anymore and I feel like I would like to start seeing a shift in the players um, mentality in that like I think kind of captains and you know like every every year every season a captain at some stage has to do a whiteboard session with everybody and I feel like if they just had a quick conversation and was like look lads or ladies, if like you know you're gay, or if you're struggling with depression, or like if there's any issues going on, it's completely fine, and you know you don't have to come out. Um, or you, like if you do, it's a completely safe place. If you're you know suffering with your mental health, or if there's anything else like that going on, again, it's completely okay. We're a team. We're here to support you, and just having that safe environment, like could com like completely change somebody's life, and you know. Despite what your, you know, what where you place in the league at the end of the, the season, if you're able to do that for one of your teammates, I think that would kind of you'd be really doing your job as a leader. Um, and I think you know, as like com committees across country have tried to improve diversity and inclusion, um, and I think we now need to like start looking to our left and to our right at our, at our fellow teammates to to, to yeah. start doing that work too. Mm -hmm. Uh, as much progress as there has been in recent years, and obviously the marriage referendum was a big deal, a big part of that, you guys have noticed an increase in homophobic slurring. Is that, is that true? And Richie, why is that? Yeah, I suppose we have seen a little bit of that, without a doubt, coming out of a pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, even with the stakeholders that we worked with, and they're telling us that there is a, you know, a slight rise in hate crime and whatnot. Um, and I think it is just where society is right now. Like, look at what's going on in the world, you know, and there's a lot of countries, you know, progressing and everything. So as a small nation ourselves, uh, you know, we can really make a mark, really, you know, prove how we go forward and, you know, change that, change it up a gear. And we're, like, if we are having any issues, the support we're getting within the branch is phenomenal. There, there, there's zero tolerance for it. And like when we, like it's been reassuring, like we had, a, there was a match, I suppose, and we, we'd had experienced it and like the, the opposition sent their player off, you know what I mean? They called it out. Yeah. So that was brilliant to see, and more of that is needed. Sure, sure. Murray? From, from your point of view, Richie, then how, like, well, how do you deal with it? Say you played a club, there's been an, an incident like that, which is awful to hear. How would you deal with it next time you, you play against that side? Well, it's funny, yeah. It actually just spurs us on even more to prove what we're about and how good we can be at our game. It does fire up the lads no end, and we've seen that you, yeah. you, uh, I don't know if you want to tell us through. Like, we've, yeah, like when we've, we've met it in, in past, like what we do is we generally speak to our lads and tell them like it's not acceptable and like the pitch is still a, a safe place for you to be. But you know, like we've pa all painted our nails and so like kind of show like solidarity that like, you know, <laughs> we're going to use what you used against us as our biggest weapon against you now. You're no longer going to get into our heads in regards to this. We're going to get into yours and it's kind of, a middle finger as such to them, like, you know. Um, and we, we definitely do bring the other opposition in and we invite them in to see what we're about. 
we bring them down to, we, we've always asked them to come even march in pride with us to see what our community is about, you know, and we've had, like, obviously we haven't had anything like that because of the pandemic, but um, even the years before that, we have brought other clubs in, invited them to come with us to march in pride, and that's been pretty powerful, and that's been a, a good shift. And I suppose the main thing is the awareness and educating people. Like you said, it's because of the pandemic, but why, like, every, things need to change and go back. We should be moving forward, and what can be done to make that change and that shift of mindset so that there isn't high amounts of slurring on the field that they you don't need to paint your nails to prove a point and um, what can be done for that on the outside it needs to come back to the players and the captains within that club and um, like you know that message when there was that homophobic incident on the pitch and the, the captains and the rest of the players called that person out that would have sent shockwaves throughout that club that that is just not something that is acceptable anymore do the referees call out players d like it, they have said to us that they will provided that they hear it but these things are very hard to prove you know and sometimes it'll come back to the scoreboard where the op opposition will turn around and say well look they're they're losing by a mile so they've they've pl played the homophobia card when that's not the case, you know, the kind of way. I don't use that as a weapon. I've listened to it for 16 years of my life. I don't want to listen to it on a rugby pitch. I'm not going to go creating problems for myself by going and reporting this, because like, I have bigger and better things to be cracking on with in life. Um, so like, if I say that you've said something homophobic, you've said something homophobic, it's the same when somebody calls out racism. If we say, if somebody has said that you're being racist, then you're being racist. And it, it's that sort of attitude that needs to come about. I understand that when you know, you're playing rugby, sometimes we try to get in each other's head, but there has to be a defined barrier of where is too far. And look, people go too far sometimes, and I'm not gonna say you know, you're a complete homophobe because you've said something like that, but I would very much appreciate if you hold up your hands and say, do you know what, I did say that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. And, you know, maybe next time I see an LGBT or inclusive charity pop up, I'll make a donation and, you know, I'll educate myself, I'll listen to a podcast, you know, th th those are the little things that make an yeah. awful difference. Richie, like, it's obviously really powerful work and, and I'm learning loads there even now, but it does sound like you have unbelievable crack as well. Like, I know you probably can't reveal all the details of the weekend, but <laughs> it sounds like it's a, a, a great social side to it as well. Yeah, they're lethal. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> they will wreck you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we've, they're absolute banter. And like even like when you, like if you look at the case studies in the club and the lads that come through, and like Gary mentioned this to me earlier on as well, he's like, just to remind me of like, if you look on our social media, the profiles that are on our social media, and nearly every single player says the same thing. He goes, why did I wait so long not to join the club? Like it's, yeah, they're getting, you know, their fitness has changed. They're learning a new skill, but the friendships that they, they bond and like we're having the absolute banter and we do get that even with the the, the Leinster in, in Leinster Metro League we've built up some incredible friendships and allies um, in the league and we've like some brilliant banter coming up against even some of the local Leinster clubs you know it always comes back to the, to the night sound. it always does but yeah. like it's really interesting you're kind of inspiring others I was speaking to Hellhounds down in Cork and they were really inspired by what you've done a club with a kind of similar ethos and no doubt you have big plans to keep growing and adding new, I suppose, elements to the club. Definitely. And like this year, by introducing the permanent side of the non-contact, which we never did before, and we call it Nisha, 
and Nisha, you know, it's like young warrior and it can be male or female, and that idea that we're bringing more women to the club. We've seen how, incre like in 2019 when we hosted the Union Cup, how important that was, bringing women to the tournament and how enriched it was. And it was, we couldn't have done that without the women. And we know for this, our club to go forward and us to fly that inclusive flag, we need more women in our club. And we have, that's happening right now. We, You've got amazing women over your team as well. Oh, we do. Julia Short. Oh, my God. Like, the most <laughs> phenomenal director of rugby. She's really driving us in such an incredible direction. Absolutely. So Has she tackled you yet? Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and she's gotten into our heads. Let me tell you. Yeah. But um, we know that it, like, it's not just about bringing women in to play with us. It's like we want women in at, like, from the top down and bottom up, if you get me. Cork, we've been asking Dev about his teammates. What's Richie like? on the pitch and in the kangaroo court sessions. <laughs> uh, I can't say much about kangaroo sessions now. I skipped, I skipped mine yesterday and I'm not even going to make eye contact with Juliet because I know she's, uh, <laughs> she's got a list of things that she wants to get me for. But it's, uh, it's great to be able to play alongside the lads. And like, it's great to be able to play alongside the women as well and you know, just create a really safe learning environment. Like, the club, like I said, is unique, unique in so many ways. And, like, the majority of our players have never played rugby before, so it's a massively daunting experience to walk onto a rugby pitch. And, you know, it's like that, that scene in every high school movie where the kid walks into the corridor and, you know, he becomes really small and the, lo the lockers around him become huge. Because you're, as an adult, you're admitting that you, you know nothing about this sport and you know nothing about the people here. So it's almost like lying on your CV. Uh, like, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's massively daunting, but we're very quick to remind one another, we've all been there before, you know, and it's the camaraderie, like, between us all, and, you know, it's, it, it's a family as well, because so many of us are out of our comfort zone and, um, you know, out of our home, hometowns, um, whether it be our home country or our hometown. So, yeah, it, it's, it's great to, to play alongside lads and win. Guys. Uh, for me, thanks very much for joining thanks us here. Some really inspirational, heartwarming stuff. Let's hear it for the Emerald Warriors. One more time. <laughs> it's not the end of the show, though. We've still got a bit more in store for you. Um, we've got a Q&A, and I believe we have a roving microphone. Our uh, producer, Paddy, is on the case. So if anybody has any questions for any of our panel, please... Make yourselves known. You can stick your hand up there, uh, man. Uh, blue shirt in the middle there. My question was for Dev. I was wondering what was your toughest European final and why? The toughest European final? The one that we lost <laughs> <laughs> against Saracens. Yeah, um, probably that. Um, it, it, it's funny because it, that one I don't really remember an awful lot too from it because we lost it and then that's the end of the season and you don't you don't do your video of it so you can't really go back and see it but yeah obviously the one that we lost was 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 the toughest was I think the the the, the best one was 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 2018 though against Rasting was for me for, for me that was most enjoyable anyway yeah great question thanks for bringing up the painful memories man <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody else any other questions stick your hands up there so we can have a look. Why was it the best one, Dev, 2018? Uh, for me, yeah, I, I, my, my, my favourite one was 2018, yeah. 
because um, obviously I was kind of in the starting team more and I started the final and I was kind of felt like you're a bit more part of the team. I think for the other three, yeah, four, yeah, yeah, for the other three, I was on the bench for all, for all, all the other three finals. So, um, and I got a little, little bit of a bit part, but I think I've, I've, I felt m more part of 2018. How big are the celebrations after something like that? Um, yeah, it's pretty you big. Can't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't remember. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, it's pretty big, yeah. No, um, like just because your entire year is leading up to that one point, you know, like we always say we're going for the two trophies at the end of the year. Um, and obviously to get the, the European one is huge. Um, and just to have that weight off your shoulders, have the prep done, have, have the year behind you, to celebrate. It's, uh, it's pretty special. My question's for the whole panel, especially Sean Burke. Um, do you have a pre-match ritual, and what is it? Uh, well, I'll obviously answer first. Uh, <laughs> I'm the most experienced here. Uh, I listen to the Benny Hill soundtrack and run around in circles until I puke. What about you guys? Lindsay? Um, I'm really superstitious, so I wear the same underwear, same sports bra, not a word of a lie. Um, I'll empty my bag and put my towel and my shower stuff like in, in order, and I will usually change my bottom half first and my jersey's last to go on, so um, that's usually the most important ritual. But I've other stuff, it has to be the particular food, have to eat four hours before. I'm kind of like OCD like that. I won't go into any more because I'll be asked to leave. That's the basic one. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty much the exact opposite. I'm not superstitious at all. You just show up, is <laughs> no, it? Thanks, Jeff. Um, I don't just show up. I'm, I do my preparation and I get everything right for the week. But when I get to the game time, I'm kind of, I just literally just sit down and kind of wait, wait till I need to go out. I think Mike McCarthy always used to say a story. He used to be going up the nines, like worrying about things. And I'd be there playing Candy Crush beside him. I'd be just like <laughs> wait, waiting to go out. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I'd like to keep a level head anyway and not, not, not stress too much, I suppose. Now, you would be the opposite side of the changing room to me because you'd send my anxiety through the roof. I'd be like, why aren't you more serious here? <laughs> I think I'm kind of in between. I wouldn't have Lindsay's like, organization there and I wouldn't be as chilled as you, but I, I, the meal thing would be the thing in the morning time. It's like I always have pancakes on game day. That's just a thing that it's just came at this stage. So the pancakes on game day is my thing. Um, and then the music, I'd have the same playlist that I play, the same five songs, because it's never very far away from where we're staying from the hotel to the What match. are the songs? Um, I've got... If you say Westlife, West if you say Westlife, <laughs> Emer constant, answer carefully. Metallica? <laughs> These, uh, no, none of that. It's like... Prodigy, um, Firestarter. It's like Hall of Fame and really cheesy ones like that, like just to get you pumped. Yeah, so it's like literally a five-minute drive from the hotel to the pitch, so we never really have that long, so I... Depends on the mood, I'll flick, but there's probably so five songs. So basically your taste in music is <coughs> Yeah, it is, it is, it really is. But then there's some girls on the bus that are like zoned in, headphones on, you can't talk to them. And then there's other ones down the back who are like wild on the bus and stuff. So it's all depending on where you're sitting on the bus and what element of fun you want on the way to the game. But chill down the back, having the crack. <laughs> fun down the back. You, Emer, you always have pancakes on game Yeah, day. yeah, pancakes, yeah. The last thing I want to do after a pile of pancakes <laughs> is physical exercise <laughs> of any kind. How do you make that work? I know, Sean, you don't understand how much we have to eat. Like, it's, it's actually disgusting how much we have to eat game day, especially with, like, a 1 p.m. kickoff. It's, like, the worst time for a kickoff because you have your pre-match meal, oh, it'd be three hours 
two hours in advance. Yeah, but let me dispel any misconceptions, okay? So the front row historically look a lot bigger, but then you get the nutritionist going, oh, sorry, props, you're not actually allowed to eat like all you want until the morning of the game. The backs get about two days eating, like two days eating. Yeah. And it's, that was one of my, like, I was always jealous. jealous of us. That yeah. was the only part of being jealous about a back and a forward was how much you could eat. So you'd be eating your chicken and pasta at like 11 a.m. because it's your pre-match meal and it's just, it's awful. So I just switched it to pancakes because pancakes you can have at all times of the day. So that's why if you put protein in front of them, they're like superhero pancakes, just FYI. Oh, I'll try that then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll have the same effect on me. Uh, Murray, what's your uh, pre-report writing routine? Uh, it actually it revolves around food as well. They give us free food in the stadiums. I don't know why this tradition started, but and we do rank them. Viva Stadium is pretty good actually. So basically, it revolves around eating as much free food as possible. Fair enough. Um, I think we have one more question. This fella at the back here in the booth. Yes, question probably for uh, Murray. So I know you touched on earlier about let's say Ty Byrne doing the 50-22 uh, new rule. Is there any new rules that you would like to see implemented or do you think would make the game better? Oh, I'd like to see fewer replacements. I think it would leave a lot more fatigue on the pitch probably and open the game up in the last quarter. It was something that I actually remember Anthony Foley saying to me years ago. He was the first one who mentioned it. And obviously, like, player safety is massive. You need... I was cringing at thinking of playing... Oh, I don't agree at all. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at my age. Yeah, that's a fair point. I don't know. I think it would just... There'd be more line breaks and more exciting rugby in the more last retirements. quarter. Probably more retirements. I'm speaking, I'm not a player, so it's clear. <laughs> That'd be a disaster, Dev, would it? Well, for me, it would be, yeah. <laughs> what would you change? Oh, geez, I don't know. More line outs, more restarts. More line outs, more line outs, more set, more set pieces. Folks. I'm afraid that's all for this week's episode of The Front Row. Thanks very much to Emer Murray and our very special guests, Lindsay Beat and Dev Toner. And also one more time to Horik and Richie from the Emerald Warriors. Thanks to our sponsor, Guinness. And if you're not already subscribed to the show, make sure you click subscribe on your favourite podcast app. We will see you again next time. Thanks very much. Front Row, brought to you by The 42, in partnership with Guinness.